0: Acts chapter 6, we're journeying through the book of Acts, just so you know, if you're new to Grace Bible, I've met lots of new folks over these last several months as we've been trying to have church in person again, and um, I I want you to know if you're new to Grace Bible, um, there's some things that may happen here that are not typical for your previous church experience, or maybe you're brand new to the church world altogether, I want you to know, welcome, you're safe here, you're safe to have questions, you're safe to not be sure, like this is a safe place for you to kind of wrestle through and grapple through, This this whole idea of a relationship with God and Jesus and his forgiveness of our sins through the cross, I get that that's kind of far-fetched if you're new to this kind of environment. But I hope that, and I trust that in hanging around that the Lord, because we believe he's still alive and active today, like the Lord is just going to whisper things in your heart that I never could. Um, And and I I pray every time I get up here that the Holy Spirit would, would, would speak the language of the listener. I don't know what it is that your heart and your soul need to hear and long to hear, This morning, but I know, like, if we spend the next 30 minutes of you just hearing me talk, we will have wasted our time. But if the Spirit of God speaks into your inmost parts, you could be changed forever. And that goes for all of us, like, and I'm hoping that we all leave here changed. Whether you're a believer, whether you're a lifetime follower of Jesus, whether you're a skeptic, whether you're an outright rejecter, our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, no matter where they fall on that spectrum. So, my prayer today is that you would hear. The voice of God in a real and in a fresh way that transforms you and changes you. We're studying through the book of Acts together. Um, We typically teach this way where we'll study through a book of the Bible at a time. Uh, We believe that God put it um, in the best order. Um, So every now and then we'll do like topical teaching sermons where we'll talk about marriage or finance or whatever. We'll just pull from different places in the scriptures. But we believe that God ordered things this way for a purpose. And so we're just going to kind of follow his lead. We'll let the scriptures determine what we talk about during the week, and we're studying through the book of Acts with just this overarching theme if you need to get caught up. Acts is is a record of the first Christian church after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. this, This was the brand new Christians. They weren't even called Christians yet. They hadn't got that name yet. They were just called followers of the way. Uh, And that was in reference to people who ascribed to the words and work of Jesus and believed in that. And there is, in these first five chapters, there has been radical growth in the New Testament church. And it wasn't because it was the most popular thing happening, by the way. Many of the people who would confess Jesus as Lord and take a step forward in public baptism, it was likely you would lose your job, you would lose your family, you may even lose your life. But yet, even amidst, like, extraordinary persecution. On the first century church, the gospel continued to go forward, which that's a word for good news. The gospel continued to go forward and thrive and explode, and people were getting saved or giving their, committing their lives to Jesus by the thousands. This resurrected Savior that many of them, hundreds of them, had had eyewitness encounter with um, prior to him ascending into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. And now we're getting to look at, like, this New Testament church, these people that are committing their lives to Jesus, Jesus promised us in John chapter 14, hey, I'm going to go away for a little while to prepare a place for you, but I'm not going to leave you alone as orphans. Like I'm not, It's not going to be like walking with me is not giving your life to Jesus and then waiting for him to come back one day. He says, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. So he says, I'm going to come and dwell within you and be with you, and I'm going to live my life through you, and you guys are going to accomplish more than you ever thought possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're getting to see what a Holy Spirit-powered people do. Bold and courageous and even ridiculous things for the sake of the gospel. And it is changing the world that they live in. And we have so much to be thankful for, that they were that resilient and that bold through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we, a couple thousand years later, could have access to the Word of God and the good news of the gospel, and an opportunity to hear and know the gospel so that our sins can be forgiven, so that we could be made right with God Almighty. That's what the book of Acts is preparing us for. And I'm hoping that in this process, that as we are studying each piece of the book of Acts, we're not going verse by verse necessarily, but we're definitely going section by section so we catch the common thread of the book of Acts. Like My my desire and my prayer is that we as a 21st century church, hold ourselves up to the mirror of the first century church in the book of Acts. Now, everything we do won't look exactly like what they do, but there's some things that they were doing that we have long gone off the rails on, and we need to get back on track, running towards Jesus and the word of God, and doing the things that he, as our king, has called us to do as his ambassadors. And we see what those things are in the book of Acts. So, we get to Acts Chapter 6 in our discussion for this morning, I actually almost jumped over this section, but then I realized, like, as I was just studying through this, like, man, this was a pivotal point in the New Testament church. And quite honestly, uh, I I wish I could say they got it so right back then that we don't have the same problem now, but that's not true. This pivot that happened within the kingdom of God and the leadership structure of the church is a pivot that needs to happen now as much as it needed to happen then. You follow what I'm saying? Well, you're about to find out. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, I told you the church was exploding. A uh, rough estimate, there's probably about 20,000 people now that ascribe to the way." that are part of the church of Jesus Christ, empowered and fueled by the Holy Spirit. The church was growing. It was exciting. New people were coming to know Jesus left and right. Thousands of people were giving their life to Christ at a time. Big stuff happening. And with big growth like that, lots of change is also happening too. Listen, Jesus loves to see His church grow when they're doing it his way. And it's happening here. But with a lot of growth, naturally you get a lot of change. With mega growth, you get mega change, and with mega change comes mega challenges. And some of us don't like that because we used to be able to park our camel right outside the front door and just walk in here and sit wherever we wanted to sit. We used to be able to just walk our children up to children's ministry and check them in, no problem. And now we got to go through this process and you got to print out the stickers and you got to sign them in and you got to wait 10 minutes because everybody in front of you has to do the th- same thing. Growth means change, change means problems. And things get difficult. And even these first century church leaders were not immune from that, because look what happens next. As they were increasing in number, a complaint arose. You know, (laughs) I'm glad that don't happen here, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I'm glad that, like, we have those brown boxes on the back wall that we call the joy box. I'm glad that nobody ever puts complaints in the joy box around here, you know what I'm saying? Oh, my gosh. I was actually thinking about putting a complaint box back there by the joy box, but wasn't going to make it as big. You know what I'm saying? I was going to take like a match box, pull the matches out, and tape it to the wall. And if you can fit it in there, we'll check it out. You know what I'm saying? But a a complaint arose. Man, when they're growing that rapidly, that fast, they couldn't have the perfect strategy to solve everything. As it happened, they just kind of had to learn on the fly. And that's exactly what was happening here. So this complaint that arose in the first century church was this. It was a complaint that came about by the Hellenists. Say Hellenists. And it arose against the Hebrews. So these are like, um, these are people within the church, within the way now, all right? The complaint arose from the Hellenists against the Hebrews because they believed that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay, so here's what's happening. Um, at that particular point in history, if you were a part of the Jewish church, if you were a part of the synagogue and you were a widow, like the the synagogue was built to where it had its own welfare system to help meet the needs of those who couldn 't meet their own needs. This worked really well because of the twelve tribes of Judah all right that were a part of the temple of God, the synagogue, the Jewish people of the twelve tribes, eleven of the tribes were meant to do different kinds of work, everybody gave. at least of their income or their crops or their whatever. And there was one tribe called the Levites. They ran the temple. Their job was to care for the spiritual needs of the body. So when you've got the large majority of people that give that generously, obviously there is a wealth of resources. They could take care of the needs. So the temple was set up to kind of have its own welfare system. Well, guess what happens if you are a widow in the first century and you've just heard the gospel and you've just jumped ship and decided you're not Jewish anymore. Now you are a follower of the way, Jesus Christ. Then welfare checks ain't coming in no more. So, the, so now the church, as it's exploding, has to figure out how to meet the needs of those people within their body the same way that they were. So here's what happened. You got the Hellenists, the Hellenist widows, which a Hellenist is like a Greek-speaking Jew. All right, so they came from kind of the surrounding area. Um, Who knows, they probably showed up for Passover or Pentecost. They experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. They heard the gospel for the first time. So, like, they are now part of this incredible movement called The Way, the Church of Jesus Christ. And so they've stuck around, but they have a complaint towards the Hebrew Christians, the ones who grew up in Jerusalem, who obviously have home field advantage because they're on their home turf, They've got all the relationships, they've got all the resources, like this is their own hometown. They're complaining, the Hellenists are complaining that the Hebrew Christians are taking better care of Hebrew widows than they are the Greek widows that are kind of the outsiders looking in. You follow what I'm saying? And this is a real problem because here it is, the church is exploding. There's a great joy amongst the body of Christ and here's a way that the enemy tries to sneak in is get us fighting against each other. And so this is what's happening. Like, and I'm sure it didn't start out with all the Greek Hellenists. All right. I'm sure it wasn't like everybody felt the same way at the same time. Something tells me somebody got their feelings hurt. And they told somebody, and they told their small group, and they talked about it at the salon. And they pulled somebody aside at the grocery store and they chatted it up about how mad they were at the apostles and the Hebrews. Like, they could have just sat, sent an email, sat down and had a conversation, but now this stuff's so blown out of proportion, it's on nightly news at Jerusalem at 5 o'clock. <laughs> a complaint arose, and it got way out of hand, so out of hand, in fact, that it get. It got wrote down, inscribed in the annuals of history. This is how big of a deal it was. This was the talk of the town. That this new incredible movement had holes in the armor and there was disrespect, there was prejudice, there was even racism within this group and it had become very public. And so the apostles had a tough decision to make very early on. And this is how they responded, we see in verse 2. And the twelve apostles, so they summoned the full number of the disciples, so they had a big church business meeting, and they gathered maybe 20,000 people, or at least the men of the group. They gathered them together for a business meeting, and here's what the apostles said. See how this would land with you if this was going on in your world at your time, and the apostles said this. It's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. (laughs) How would that, hold on now, how would that go over if I said that to y'all? It's not right that we should give up preaching of the Word of God to serve tables. That's the Greek word diakone, where we get our word deacon. It's not right that we should stop prayer and ministry of the Word of God and equipping the saints like, to serve like, basic needs that our people are having. And so therefore, brothers, I want you to pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty of deaconing. By the way, all the people that got appointed to deaconship right here, there were seven of them, one of which is Stephen. We'll talk about Stephen next week. All of these were guys. They were all men. But let me be clear, like, as we see the New Testament unfold, Alright, it wasn't just men who got appointed to the role of deacon within the body. We see deaconesses all throughout the scripture too. We'll talk about that when we get there. But for now, they started out with some fellas. They called them out. They said, You need to be on the front lines of leading and serving in these issues within our own community. So they pointed these guys out. They appointed these guys, and then they said, verse 4: But we're the apostles, we're gonna devote ourselves to the prayer. And the ministry of the word. And check this out. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Come on now. Y'all ever been to a church meet, Church business meeting with, where everybody lived happily ever after? <laughs> hey, that's the power of the Holy Spirit right there, brother. There's no denying that. See, the apostles had a tough decision to make because what had got them this far was now in jeopardy. It was was prayer and the ministry of the Word of God that was causing this unprecedented movement of people surrendering their lives to the lordship of King Jesus. But yet, as the church was growing, so were the challenges. People needed soup. Somebody had to chop up the carrots. Somebody had to start making hospital visits. Somebody has to do the weddings, the funerals, run the programs. There's a lot of people and a lot of needs, and there's only 12 apostles. And so the Holy Spirit began to teach these apostles a lesson on leadership here in this moment, and he gave them this direction, that you need to be committed to prayer and the furthering of the Word of God, equipping the saints with the Word of God for the work of ministry, evangelizing, preaching so that people can come to know Jesus, and you need to call the body of believers into the mission with you. Okay, now I told you like this was a problem they were having back then, and I wish they would have solved it so well that we didn't have this problem today, but I think the 21st century church needs to hear this too. See, these people at that particular time thus far, they, all the work of the ministry had been done essentially through the apostles. But the apostles finally realized, like, it is going to stunt the growth of what Jesus is doing if we still wear all the hats and keep all the plates spinning. We've got to give away authority. We've got to give away responsibility. We've got to call the people of Jesus into the mission of Jesus with us so that we can focus on the main thing, preaching the word of God, so that people's lives can be transformed. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, serving people is one of the most beautiful significant, meaningful displays of the love and the glory of God here on earth. We must, we have to serve one another, insiders, outsiders, believers, not believers. We need to be a people who are committed to serving because a, we serve a servant king and we need to follow suit. He should have servant disciples. But it does get a little bit tricky as the church begins to grow They've got to come up with another strategy because they can't possibly keep up with all the demands. The apostles can just like your pastors here can't. It's impossible for us to be able to keep up with the demands that are placed on us just from this church, much less the community outside of this church. And we need to really focus on making sure that we are committed to prayer and the ministry of the Word of God so that we are equipping saints for the work of ministry in and outside of this church family. It has to happen. But that doesn't always go over so well because I bet you, even though everybody was sitting there bobbing their heads saying, that's a great idea, Peter and the apostles, that sounds really good. I bet you the first time old so-and-so didn't get her soup handed to her by her favorite apostle that she was offended (laughs) because a deacon came and did it instead. I bet you the first time somebody got thrown into a hospital room that they didn't feel like the church came to visit them because it was a deacon or a member of the body and it wasn't one of the apostles. I bet you. Why are you telling me to preach, Pastor Cam? <laughs> you, you feel this tension sometimes, bro? <laughs> Y'all hear what I'm saying? You know, you know, I think that the enemy, our adversary, the devil wanted the apostles to feel like they had to do it all. And I think the adversary, the devil, wanted to convince the people that it was the apostle's job to do the work of the ministry exclusively. I think he would have walked away clapping his hands and would have won. But that's not what happened. People stepped into the story. They got involved. They joined in the mission of church. They recognized churches in a place that they go, but it's a people that they are, and it changed the world. And we need to be reminded of this in the 21st century, like, the, the five of our pastors, and we've got about 15 staff outside of that, many of which are part-time, like, there's over 100,000 people just right here within this county, much less the Heartland. You guys represent five different counties when you come here to church. Y'all are from outside the Highlands County. That's why I refer to us as the Heartland. Like, there's no way on our best day, if we had perfect strategy, that we would ever be able to meet the needs and do all that's necessary to equip all those saints to be a part of their story and a part of their lives. It's gonna take us doing it together as a family to make it work. It has to happen that way. That's the only way. This is what the Word of God calls us to, and this is how it works, and it works beautifully, and it's meant to. Like, every one of us, we are one body made up of many parts. You have different talents and skills. Different desires and passions, different relationships and you live in different parts of the community and work in different places and God has appointed you there as an ambassador, a, a missionary, part of the royal priesthood. So that he might live his perfect life through you, so that he might minister to the world around you through you and we can't We can't assume that we'll ever live up to the call that Jesus has placed on his church. If it's just the pastors and the apostles doing the work of ministry. You know, knowing that, knowing that this is a real tension and knowing we're looking for a worship pastor. Um, here I, I, so we, we wanted to make sure that we just kind of laid all our cards on the table when we put our job description online. So that, you know, we didn't have any worship pastor uh, apply for the job that wasn't ready for the task. You know what I'm saying? That's wise, right? That's important. We want them to know what they're signing up for. And so here's, I want to tell y'all the job description that we put together that Dave signed up for um, because this, we just kind of made this up based on like the desires and expectations of this church family of their pastors, okay? Um, So those of you watching online, um, make sure you're tuning in here as well. So here's, here's the job description that we put up that Dave agreed to. Wanted, minister for a growing church, a real challenge for the right guy. So far, so good, right? Applicant must offer experience as a shop worker, office manager, educator, salesman, diplomat, cheerleader, writer, theologian, politician, boy scout leader, children's worker, minor league athlete, yes and amen, psychologist, vocational counselor, psychiatrist, funeral director, Wedding consultant, master of ceremonies, circus clown, missionary, and social worker. Helpful, but not essential. (laughs) Experience as a butcher, cowboy, Western Union messenger. Must know all about problems in birth, death, marriage, etc. Also conversant in the latest theories and practices in aeronautical engineering, pediatrics, economics, nuclear science, and politics. The right man will hold firm views on every topic, and yet is careful not to upset anyone who disagrees. (laughs) He must be forthright but flexible, return criticism and backbiting with Christian love and forgiveness. (laughs) Sure you want some? should have an outgoing and friendly disposition at all times should be a captivating speaker and an intent listener education must be beyond phd requirements but always concealed in homespun modesty and folksy talk able to sound learned at all times but must but most of the times talk and act like good old joe Familiar with the literature read by the average congregation member, must be willing to work long hours, subject to call day or night, adaptable to sudden interruptions, but always maintain and model a perfectly happy and healthy home life. (laughs) He who has ears, let him hear. (laughs) Applicant's wife (laughs) must be stunning but plain. Smartly attired, but conservative in appearance, gracious and able to get along with everybody, even women. (laughs) I probably shouldn't have said that. That's funny, though. I probably shouldn't have said that. That's okay. (laughs) She must be willing to work in children's church, the kitchen, teach Sunday school, babysit, wait tables, never listen to gossip, and never become discouraged. The applicant's children must be exemplary in conduct and character and at all times well behaved, yet no different from any of the other children, y'all's kids. (laughs) Opportunity for applicant to live close to work, furnished home provided, open door hospitality will be enforced. What's so funny? That was like the the pastor row over there. All replies will be kept confidential. Anyone applying will undergo full investigation to determine his sanity. (laughs) Now, I know that none of y'all expect that from any of the pastors at GBC. But I know that all of y'all expect some of that from the pastors of GBC And when everybody expects a part of it, before you know it, all of that is expected from the pastors. Does that look anything like what the Word of God meant for the relationship between the apostles and the pastors and the church and the work of the mission, the movement of the gospel? Now, we went off the rails a long time ago, and the enemy's probably been applauding it all along, but like, We're not going to be a church like that. I don't want you to wander through your life not walking in your kingdom calling because I want to be in control of everything. I want to give away authority and responsibility as fast as I can to those who are willing and committed and qualified and ready to learn. As do the rest of our pastors and elders. This is how the kingdom of God works. This is what has to happen for the mission of the gospel to go forward. And I tell you, like in 21st century church uh, church culture, that pendulum swings. Um, We we have all the way over on this end the model of church that I would refer to as the crippled church model. Uh, the, The church where the pastor essentially just controls everything and won't let anything happen unless he can meddle in it and have his hands all in the stuff. Okay, that's the crippled church model because that church will only grow and only be as effective as that pastor can lead. So in other words, the ceiling of the church is the ceiling of that pastor's leadership capacity. And he has no leadership capacity if he wants to control everything. That's a church destined for failure. We will not be that place. Then swing the pendulum the other way. This is popular in 21st century America. There's the consumer church model. Where the pastor is and the staff is, and I mean, they're calling out to the body saying, like, man, we we need to link arms. We need to partner together. There's needs that need to be met. I need you guys to, like, step up to the plate and do it, to be leaders within our church and do, like, the work of the ministry alongside of us. But what happens as a result is everybody points fingers at everybody else, and then eventually everybody points their fingers back at the pastor. And the pastor starts getting phone calls like, well, we need a, a more robust small group ministry, So we need you to create it for us, to which I would say, open up your house, open up the Word of God, and start serving a meal and invite people over. You be the solution. Or the pastor that gets the call. We need to to muscle up our hospitality and hospital ministry and our shut-in ministry because we, we need you and the other pastors of the church to be visiting more sick people, To which I would say, you know about them. Why don't you go visit? I'll give you my business card. You can leave it on the table. If we're going to be effective, it's going to take all of us. You got somebody in your neighborhood that wants to come to church? Don't be calling me asking about a van ministry. (laughs) Load them up in your car. And if it takes two trips, make two trips. And if you need to find other Christians in your neighborhood to get a family that wants to go to church to church, then enlist them too. We're talking about the biblical model of church here. What the Acts church did, the first century church, when they recognized the call of God was on all of them together. And the pastors and the apostles, like their job was to be committed to prayer and committed to the ministry of the word of God so that the body can continue to grow and flourish and thrive in the gifting that they had received, in the calling that they had in their life. And, like, this is what God has called us to as a church family, too. That's why you're going to hear us bang the gong of mission week after week after week, just praying that, like, the light bulb continues to go on, and so many of you are. So many of you are buying into a kingdom mission in your life. I get your texts. I get your phone calls. You're making waves right where God has put you. You're serving needs right where God has put you. Like, you are doing the thing. And I'm excited. Ironically, one of the cool things about this conversation we're having today, the, one of, the biggest problem that ignited this issue in the first century church, this whole beginning of Genesis chapter 6, the biggest issue they were having was the care for their widows. Well, I'm so excited to tell you like, that one of the most extraordinary ministries that we have at this church is our widow's ministry. Oh, and by the way, the pastors didn't get together and put their heads together to come up with a strategy to meet the needs of the widows in our church and community. You know what happened? A couple years ago, a few years ago, God laid on me and Ansley's heart. We're sitting down with a, a, a recent widow. Like, a, I mean, it was, like, it was in the process of happening. She was losing her husband. And for whatever, the Spirit like, just prompted us to like cast vision for this particular woman and said, I think God's going to use you to minister to widows right here in the heartland. And I know it may be totally overwhelming right now, it's probably totally inappropriate that I even start the conversation with you right now. I feel like the Lord's telling me to tell you this. And so, very quickly after the passing of her husband, she saw the need, and so she started, her name's Donna, I love this woman, she's amazing. She started reaching out to other widows and just getting together for a meal. And it was her as kind of our ministry leader, and they branded the, the, the ministry LOL, Ladies of Loss, but appropriately LOL, because that's like, you know, the, what you call it for laughing. They do a lot of laughing. I went to their Christmas party. Joe was awesome, like that one lady and five or six widows getting together, just serving each other, meeting each other's needs, caring for each other has turned into that ministry having five or six leaders and over 100 women in the heartland, not just in this church, but in other churches and people that don't even go to church are getting involved in that widow's ministry. You see what I'm saying? And guess what? Guess how much involvement our elder team had in putting a strategy together for them? None. None. Man, we just cast the vision to them. And we sit back and we watch the Holy Spirit does do what he does best. And now there is a safe and warm place for widows in the heartland to land. Because a group of widows decided they wanted to be a part of their own solution. And it has not only changed the lives of many others, it has changed their life as well. So I say that for two reasons. I want to celebrate them as a church family. This is an incredible ministry of our church. But I also want to call out to any of you who who are widowed or recently widowed and you haven't found a safe place to land. Would you give us a call? At the church office, we have a thriving ministry here called LOL that would love to have you as a part of their group and go through life together and enjoy life together and point one another back to Jesus over and over and over again. Grace Bible Church family, would you just join me in celebrating our incredible LOL Widows Ministry here at GBC? So So you see what happened? Verse 7. The people bought into this vision. And you see what happened in verse 7. It says, the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And even a great number of priests, priests, Jewish priests became obedient to the faith. So not only were like, you know, just your average guys and gals like hearing the gospel being transformed by it. But like here's some guys that had graduated from Jerusalem, you. They were Ph.D. rabbis, priests of Judaism. And they were hearing the gospel, and they were seeing the gospel lived out, and even priests were jumping ship to follow the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. It's powerful stuff. And this is how it happened. You know, I wonder, where, where would the church have been if the gospel continued to go forth in the first century, but the people didn't jump on board of meeting the needs of the people within the body and outside the body, I wonder where the church would have been. I, I would venture to say that the good news would have probably turned into yesterday's news. But because people began to walk in that kingdom citizenship calling that they have in their life, it changed the world. And we have much to be thankful for because it is because of a resilient people that were willing to listen to the Holy Spirit that we have even heard the gospel in the Western Hemisphere 2,000 years later. So I wonder what God could do through us, right here, right now. I pray that he and she who has ears would hear the voice of God as he leads you. You may not know where to start, what to say, what part you're supposed to play. Let, Let me tell you where it all starts for you. It's just, it starts by saying yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, and to say yes, surrender to the Holy Spirit of God that now dwells within your life, to be your faithful guide about how to be a missionary at your mailbox. It's about just saying yes. These guys had no idea what to do next. There were no YouTube videos to watch. There had only been three or four sermons preached, and they weren't recorded and posted online for them to go back and listen to again. They were just listening for the voice of God and saying, Lord, my life is yours. My family is yours. My resources are yours. My business is yours. Every breath in my lung is yours, Father. And if you want to use me and my family for your glory and your purposes, here I am, Lord, send me. And he did, and it changed everything. That's the kingdom calling on our lives. This is the leadership strategy of the gospel. Every member a missionary. And we're going to continue to fan the flame and equip the saints for the work of ministry as we join you in the mission too. We as your pastors and elders, we were called into our kingdom citizenship before we were ever called into the work of pastoring. So don't think that we're just going to be praying and just going to be preaching. We're going to be living it out too. And we aren't exactly sure where to start either, but I can tell you we're saying yes. And we're inviting God to do whatever he wants to do through our families. And I hope that you will too because this is what he has called us to. As a family, call GBC right here in the heartland. Let's pray together. Lord, have your way in us. We, uh, our lives are just shrouded with offers of darkness and offers to serve and follow lesser idols, but God, we acknowledge your, your word declares something greater over us, a greater purpose and a greater mission, and you want to use our lives for your glory. So, would you do it? Because I know you can, and you have so many times before. So, why not now? Why not here? Why not these people? I just pray that we would say yes to you and surrender over to you that which was already yours to begin with our whole lives. Be glorified in us, Lord, in Jesus' name.